Welcome to the Dipshit Files number 15. I am Mr. Scriptkeeper. And I'm Mrs. Scriptkeeper. And we're doing kind of a Dipshit Files magazine style again this week. And so we're going to do UFOs, but we're going to just give you an overview of eight of the best that they've ever been mm-hmm. of the abduction stories. And you guys can tell so us. So saith the interwebs. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we'll look into it and we'll mm-hmm. get scat about it and we'll talk about it and whatnot. And we'll determine if there's any that are really worth looking into for us. Mm-hmm. But that's on the other side of this. So let's open up another dipshit file. <laughs> All right, so today on the Dipshit Files, we've got the eight, the, according to the fucking internet, mm-hmm. we've got the eight best, you know, most compelling alien mm-hmm. abduction stories. Right. Some of them I've heard of before mm-hmm. because I'm a dork. <laughs> and Evidently so am I. Yeah. Because I've, I think I heard of more than you did. Well, you're a nerdy dweeb <laughs> and I'm just a flat dork. <laughs> you know, there's the political compass. When it comes to nerddom, mm-hmm. there's a beautiful compass and I'm just a centrist dork. <laughs> you know, basically you put a sandwich in space and I'll fucking, I'll be hungry for the sandwich, mm-hmm. but I'm really, I'm pumped about the stars. I'm pumped about the space part. <laughs> you dork. No, I'm dork. Uh, but no, we've got eight of them. And mm. we've done, I think, one of the best ones already. You guys can check out the Travis Walton one if you yeah. haven't already. That was right. episode something or other Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, way back. Four. Yeah. We've also done... Well, he was on that list. So yeah. his his story was on that list. And because we covered it, I removed it from the list. And it was nine top. Right. Um, but these are the eight. So Yeah. And so now we're going to see if these are worth a shit. Mm-hmm. And we're not doing the dipshit meter today. What we're going to kind of do is thumbs up, thumbs down. Right. But uh, really, we just discuss it at the end. So mm-hmm. we'll get there when we get there. So so today we're briefly going to look at the Betty and Barney Hill story. And there's the Berkshire incident, but there's a bunch of other ones. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a cool one in Australia yeah. with a pilot that mm-hmm. we'll get to as well. But, uh, yeah, we're going to get just right into it. It's alien abduction central this time. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, let's talk about the open-mindedness of this. You guys probably know I'm, I'm very skeptical of all this shit. Monique mm-hmm. is very skeptical of all this shit. Mm-hmm. But we're going to go in there with a, a different kind of mindset than normal. Right. It's not going to be open. It's not going to be closed. We'll tell you about it on the other side of this. Have an open mind, but try to keep your brain inside your head. UFOs were once a taboo topic for the U.S. government, but not anymore. Public fascination with flying saucers, glowing lights, and otherworldly aircrafts has been ongoing for generations. Tell us about the aliens, Pop Pop. Yeah, yeah. tell the Chitfins your story, Dad, and then I'll tell them mine. Back in my day, the aliens just came down and shoved shit in your ass all the time. And the head on those anal probes was a lot bigger back then, too. Right. Really cracked the pelvis. When spooky things appear in the sky, Witnesses have often been reluctant to report them for fear of mockery by others, especially in the halls of government. They should be making fun of each other for their piss-poor understanding of what their fucking jobs are. But these days, fewer people are laughing. Your booze mean nothing! I've seen what makes you cheer! Having spent the last week digging into this topic, and in reality the last decade looking at it with fascination and what-ifs, I wanted to have a candid conversation about it especially in light of recent disclosure from the U.S. government. For decades, the UFO conversation has been deemed as kooky and wackadoodle. That's mainly because of the wackadoodles, though. Leading individuals who've had possibly legitimate experiences to shy away from sharing due to public ridicule. Oh, you believe in aliens, dude? Yeah, I think I got my booty hole probed by one. You're a fucking idiot. Uh, I gotta go vote now, after I go to church, and read my horoscope, and confer with my guardian angel. Now, I'm not saying that I believe these stories I'm gonna share, Mm -hmm. but I'm also not discrediting crediting them on their face because I wasn't there, I didn't have the experiences, nor am I one of the experts that examined the evidence. What I am doing is entertaining these ideas, and I would like for you to do the same. Yeah, no thanks. I'm out. (laughs) Just kidding. Let's do it. So before we get into all of this, I'd like to talk about the concepts of open-minded attitudes and closed-minded attitudes. And another attitude. Yeah. Being able to entertain ideas without buying into them. Exactly. And that's kind of the area that I would like to encourage you listeners to be, is to find yourself in that spot. So changing an opinion 
when presented with compelling evidence or irrefutable facts is hard. So is sticking to correct beliefs in the face of opposition. Both actions take courage. Two plus two equals five. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Well, I guess I could just kick your ass then, you know. Five it is. The challenge is knowing when to concede or dig in, especially when confronting deep personal biases intertwined with feelings or emotions. Over the years, I've struggled with my own biases and at times overcame what I now see as a closed-minded attitude. Of course, the topics I battled with had nothing to do with UFOs or aliens, but the concept is the same. The earth is kind of a realm shape, kind of realmish. My daily challenge for my personality type is to maintain an open mind to new ideas and concepts. Some people would say I have an open mind because I have evolved. The contrast would be a closed mind, unwilling to consider alternate viewpoints. Neither... I don't think that's a thing. And don't even try and convince me otherwise. Neither option in this false dichotomy is good. When moving forward in the world, having either an open or a closed mind can sabotage your growth. Much like giving coffee to newborns. I don't know. The flexibility of an open mind is necessary to a point, but those who bend too quickly to new ideas might give up correct beliefs or, more likely, swap one set of flawed notions for another. Right. On the flip side, the rigidness of a closed mind has advantages when trying to lock in cherished values, but those satisfied with their level of knowledge lose all sense of discovery. And then some of those folks go door to door to teach you about things that they can't know. They assume their beliefs are true and complete, ending the need for further inquiry. No amount of information will convince them otherwise. Such people show strong convictions, right or wrong, because nothing else exists in their minds. And over the years, I have discovered a third alternative. I like and, this one. And that's the active mind. The concept has less to do with whether you change your opinion and more to do with how you form your opinion. People with active minds focus on learning, and on thinking critically. In other words, they emphasize the journey, not just the destination. Hmm. Now, before you label yourself as open-minded, an open-minded individual, consider this. Closed-minded people would never consider that they could actually be closed-minded. In fact, their perceived open-mindedness is what's so dangerous. It's a version of the Butzian mimicry problem. Oh, that thing. Are you the real thing or a copycat? Are you the real deal or have you simply just learned to talk the talk and to look the part? These are tough questions to answer and nobody wants to admit to themselves that they're closed-minded. But the advantages of having that courage are massive. The ability to change your mind is a superpower. Remember that. That's something that has stuck with me forever. Mm -hmm. Don't own shit. Like, don't own other people's ideas. Just try and understand them as fully as you can. Right. This, is, uh, this always makes me think of the steel man, straw man. Kind mm -hmm. of thing. You should look at folks with suspicion if they want to straw man arguments or ideas or people. The rate at which you learn and progress in the world depends on how willing you are to weigh the merit of new ideas, even if you don't instinctively like them. I did not like them. Perhaps especially if you don't like them. So, so it's good to have an open mind, but not so open that your brain falls out. What the hell happened here? Oh, it's crazy, dude. All right, first of all, that guy's mind was too open and his brains fell out. I see. Yeah, so the other guy didn't see the brains on the floor. And he stepped on, he slipped around, he broke his neck, dude. And that's what happens when you're a credulous nutnik. With that foundation posited, let's move on to our topics. The top eight alien abduction stories. From the 1969 Berkshire's UFO incident to the eerie tale of Barney and Betty Hill, these alien abduction stories might even make skeptics believe that the truth is out there. While there has yet to be any proof that these first-hand accounts are real. We're giving you eight crazy-ass alien abduction stories anyway, bro. Hey, bring it, bitch. The Betty and Barney Hill story. Barney and Betty Hill took a spontaneous trip to the White Mountains of New Hampshire in September of 1961. As he shared in John G. Fuller's book, The Interrupted Journey, from 1966, Barney needed a break from his night shift at the post office while Betty was mentally exhausted from handling state child welfare cases. On the last night of their makeshift honeymoon, the two found themselves in a Vermont diner ready to make the last dash home to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. By leaving at 10 p.m., they planned on arriving home around 2 a.m. But some aliens had some different plans. On the road, Betty noticed, quote, a particularly bright star, perhaps a planet, end quote, in the sky. When this celestial object began changing its course in an erratic manner, Betty was convinced it was a UFO. 
Her husband was not. I'm convinced it's a UFO. I am not. As the object drew closer, Barney pulled the car to a stop and, gun in hand, got out to investigate. I got it, I got it. Please don't be aliens, please don't be aliens. As he approached the object, Barney saw what he would later describe as a pancake-like disc glowing with bright, brilliant white light that was about the size of a jet. I felt weird bringing a gun to that. Like, hey, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I see you're floating in midair. I've got a pistol. I uh, hope we can be friends. <laughs> I think we got started off on the wrong foot here. If you need directions to the White House, it's fucking that way. Running back to his car, he and Betty tried to evade the vessel. It drive fast, it drive fast. This is the vehicle's maximum speed. Well, now do you believe me it's a UFO? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But were instead overcome with an intense drowsiness and immediately fell unconscious. Mm. The couple pulled into their driveway around dawn, unable to recall what had happened. Two hours of memory seemed to have been wiped from both of their minds. Mm. While Betty was convinced they had an encounter with a UFO and later reported the sighting to the Air Force, her husband was skeptical. It was only when the couple met with psychiatrist Dr. Benjamin Simon for a consultation in December of 1963 that Barney had changed his mind. Hey, I'm Dr. Ben Simon. Nice to meet you guys. Hey, thanks for seeing us. Yeah. So you're skeptical of what you saw there, Barney? Yeah. Well, have you ever heard of the concept of a book deal? Dr. Simon found both to be suffering from crippling anxiety. Hmm. Betty, in particular, manifested hers in the form of repetitive, nightmarish dreams. What are you doing to me? Do not be afraid, human. Yeah, everything will be just fine. Yeah, but then why do you have that thing? Oh, that is just a medical device. Yeah, it looks like one of those anal probes. Oh, no, no, nothing like that. And what do you do with it then? Okay, you got it. Yeah, we're going to shove it up your ass. Dr. Simon then put them under hypnosis, which reportedly yielded highly ominous memory. All right, when I snap my fingers, you're going to think, book deal. Book deal. Uh, the book deal. And I'm your agent now, and I want 45%. Barney Hill recalled creatures with slanted eyes taking the couple aboard their UFO to conduct experiments on their bodies. Now what are you doing to me? Don't worry, we're just putting your head on the zebra's body. Wait, what, why? Yeah, we just want to see what's going to happen. Eh? Yeah, we do it all the time. Can I opt out of that? Barney claimed that the beings took samples of hair, skin, and nail clippings, and then a six-inch long needle was inserted mm. into Betty's stomach. Okay. They were concerned that she got rabies. That's how <laughs> the aliens were. That's how aliens do. Rabies shots. Yep. Betty told Dr. Simon that she later asked a being that they knew to be the leader where they were. It jokingly replied, if you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where I am. Little alien prick. Where am I? Haha, uh -huh. the fire monkey wants to know where it is. Hey, bitch, you don't want to know it. During another hypnosis session in 1964, Betty purportedly drew a star map of the sky from memory, hmm. as seen from a planet orbiting the star Zeta Reticuli. Most shocking above all was that this map was drawn with confounding accuracy and that Zeta Reticuli lies some 40 light years from Earth. Hey, Betty, you've been a real champ about all this. Yes, Beetlejuice and I wanted to give you something. Yeah, just a little token for all the fucked up shit we did. Yeah, what is it? It's a star map. Yeah, it's a star map. You like it? Eh? Yeah, what am I supposed to do with it? Yeah. Betty's nearly perfect recreation of the stars surrounding an actual star system remains one of the most intriguing aspects of all alien stories ever reported. Ultimately, Barney and Betty Hill's account led the Air Force to launch Project Blue Book, a shadowy initiative that aimed to investigate domestic UFO sightings and also presented a template for all the UFO abduction stories that followed in decades to come. And that's the Betty and Barney Hill story. I'm not too sure about the hypnotism stuff. Now it's time for our second UFO story. So the second story is the 1969 Berkshire's UFO incident. Whole city saw yep, this thing. the whole town. Okay. When numerous residents of Berkshire County, Massachusetts, individually reported having seen a UFO on September 1st, 1969, authorities were at a loss for an explanation. This this wasn't a lone sighting induced by sleep deprivation that could be easily dismissed. It truly appeared as though something weird had occurred. On the evening in question, residents spotted lights above Sheffield in the southern Berkshires. Many of the witnesses said that the lights were seen on an unidentified disc-shaped craft that was moving in strange ways. Some witnesses claimed that they lost track of time while staring at the object. 
Thomas Reed was nine years old at the time. In the car with his mother, brother, and grandmother that night, the family noticed a group of glowing orbs dash out of the roadside trees. Grandma, what was that? Oh, sorry, kids. That was me. I let a stinky go. Ew, no, I meant the lights. Oh, I don't know. Most likely aliens. Reed claimed that something shocking happened when, heading home, his family approached Sheffield Bridge. It came to a stop off the side of the road, he recalled, of the glowing orbs. Everything got really calm. It was like being in the middle of a hurricane. There was like a barometric change in pressure. It was just like dead silence. Then there was an eruption of crickets and frogs, and it got really loud, and then that was it. And he never did drugs again. Then the family suddenly found itself back in the car, but they had inexplicably lost two hours of memory. Stranger still, Reed's mother and grandmother had somehow switched car seats. Despite any tangible evidence of the Berkshire UFO incident, Reed has remained steadfast in his account. He said over time, the family regained some memory of the incident, including having been in a hangar-like facility with other people. Shit. Hey, did the aliens bring you here too? Yeah, shut the fuck up, little chitron. We encountered something, said Reed. It was definitely not of this world. This hangar thing we were in was huge. It was larger than a football field. This hallway we had seen was circular with a Y configuration almost to control the flow of traffic. This one room had a boat-in wall that was rounded. It's important to remember that Reed was only one of dozens of people who reported witnessing a UFO in the Sheffield area that night. Some were adults who called into the local radio station to report the sighting. Others were children who began drawing UFOs in class. There must have been 20 or 30 sketches that were drawn by children in our fourth grade class from what they saw, said Reed. But the Berkshire incident has way too much to cover in the scope of this here, so we're going to move on. Alien abduction story number three. The UFO abduction of Whitley Stryber while he was writing sci-fi. I automatically do not believe professional writers or any kind of writer. Sorry. Go ahead. Whitley Stryber has written fiction for more than 40 years with notable titles including the horror novels The Wolfen hmm. and The Hunger. Stryber shared that his writing streak was interrupted one night in the late 80s by an alien abduction in upstate New York. Okay. Stryber recounted his experience in his non-fiction title Communion in 1987. The alleged incident occurred on the night of December 26, 1985, as Stryber slept alone in his cabin in the woods. Awakened by a strange noise, he purportedly saw a small, non-human entity approaching his bed. Suddenly, it was morning. Not only had he awoken disoriented, but he felt oddly aggressive, too. I know how that feels. I've awakened oddly aggressive at times. Seems. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck <It> was- <laughs> you! <laughs> Fuck the world. All it's worth. Every inch of planet Earth. Yeah. It was during a session of regressive hypnosis a few months later that some of the memories returned. According to Stryber, beings that he has since referred to as visitors entered his home and abducted him. Oh, wow. Get in the fucking spaceship, bitch. Oh, fuck yeah. I've been looking forward to this my whole life. We're going to shove things in you. Probably dissect you. Oh, thank you. While seen as a work of fiction added to his catalog of alien stories by many, Stryber never wavered from his position. In fact, fact, his later work only doubled down on the notion that aliens were visiting him. In his book, The Key, A True Encounter, Stryber detailed another alien encounter that he claims took place in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Asleep in his Delta Chelsea hotel room in the middle of the night on June 6, 1998, Stryber claimed to have been visited by another mysterious stranger. I got up, opened the door, thinking it was the room service waiter, Stryber recalled, and it was not. It was a man I described as about five and a half feet tall, older looking, like someone in his 70s. He wore dark colored clothing, a turtleneck, and charcoal slacks. Okay, that's supposed to be an alien? That sounds like Uncle Bob. Stryber claimed the visitor stood motionless by the window for nearly an hour, expounding on the dangers of creating an intelligence more evolved than its creator. Stryber said it was the most extraordinary conversation I've ever had in my life. And that's why come drugs, kids. Many are skeptical of Stryber's alien abduction claims, but one former Green Beret commander and developer of weapons at Los Alamos, New Mexico, John B. Alexander, believes him. That was a mighty sentence. For more than two decades, I have been interacting with Whitley Stryber and found him to be one of the most intelligent and thoughtful researchers in the 
field, said Alexander. As he rubbed peanut butter on himself. There is no doubt that he's had some very strange experiences, ones that even he does not claim to fully understand. Says some random dude. All right, that's that story. Now let's do this story. These are the best abduction stories of all time. The Pascagoula alien story that saw two fishermen subjected to experimentation. Sounds like the beginning of that sentence should be, Dear Penthouse. It was October 11th, 1973, when Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson went fishing on the banks of the Pascagoula River in Mississippi. At first, when Parker saw blue lights reflected in the water, he thought police had come to instruct the two to leave. A big light came out of the clouds, Parker recalled. It was a blinding light. It was hard to tell with the lights so bright, but it looked like it was shaped like a football. I would say, just estimating, it was about 80 feet long. It made very little sound. It was just a hissing noise, end quote. Parker then claimed that three legless creatures floated out of the vessel towards him. He described all three as having mitten-shaped claws. Watch out for his mittens. While one was necklace and gray, the other appeared to be more feminine. When one of them tried to wrap his hands around Parker's neck, his natural response of fear oddly subsided. And that's where his lobster sex fetish began. I think they injected us with something to calm us down. I was kind of numb and went along with the program, end quote. Parker alleged that he and Hickson were taken aboard the alien vessel and experimented on. Hey, why do we always pick hillbillies to experiment on, eh? I don't fucking know. Just pass me the ass caper. Afterward, the two terrified fishermen found themselves back on the riverbank as though nothing had happened. They drove to the Jackson County Sheriff's Office and told Captain Glenn Ryder and Sheriff Fred Diamond the entire story. When I got in there, they had me, Hickson told the police. There were no seats, no chain, they just moved me around. I couldn't resist them. I just floated. I felt no sensation, no pain. They kept me in that position a little while, then they'd raise me back up. Hickson claimed that a machine resembling a giant eye looked over his entire body. He said he was surrounded by inhuman, five foot tall, monopedal beings. Were they walking around on their dicks? One foot. That's, that's weird. That's way weird. Are you walking around on your dick? Yes. That's fucking weird. Captain Ryder didn't believe the two men. I'm with him. He stepped out of the interrogation room but left a secret recording device running in hopes of obtaining proof that their alien stories were fabricated. But what he later heard on his recording made him think twice. Jesus Christ, God have mercy. I thought I'd been through enough hell on this earth and now I've got to go through something like this, said Hickson to Parker. But they could have, you know, I guess they, well, they could have harmed us, son. They had us. They could have done anything to us. Always look on the bright side of life. I just want to cry right now, added Parker. What's so damn bad about it is nobody's going to believe us. End quote. Man, they're right. With no physical evidence of their abduction, the alien story remains a mystery. The mystery of the lobster-clawed dick aliens. Parker stayed quiet about the event for decades, but after Hickson's death in 2011, he wrote a 2018 book on the matter. Its publication prompted others to come forward, claiming that they too had seen a UFO that night. Hmm. It makes me feel pretty good that I'm not the only one who saw something, he said. Most of these people are credible people, end quote. Do you believe the fishermen? I don't know. I feel like I would want to see aliens walking around on their dicks, though. All right, on to the next story. Well, now let's try this fucking story, eh? The alien abduction of Antonio V.S. Boas that ended in extraterrestrial coitus. That one also sounds like it should start out dear penthouse. In 1954, two Venezuelan teenagers claimed that they found a UFO in the woods and were only able to escape with their lives after fighting off small, hairy aliens. A Brazilian journalist covered the alleged experience in 1957 and asked readers to send in their own. That's when he was contacted by farmer Antonio Villas-Boas. The journalist paid for the 23-year-old's travel expenses and put him up in Rio de Janeiro, where Dr. Olavo Fontes examined him. Boas claimed that he experienced an alien abduction one day after reading an article outlining the Venezuela incident, which seemed rather convenient. Boas said he'd been working nights in the family's field in order to avoid the hot daytime temperatures. On October 16, 1957, he purportedly saw a red star above the fields near São Francisco de Salas. As it approached, Boas claimed that atop the egg-shaped craft was a cupola containing a rotating red light. As the vessel extended its three legs to the earth, Boas claimed that he had tried to flee, 
but was captured by five-foot-tall beings wearing gray overalls and helmets. Why are all these aliens so goofily dressed? And then taken aboard their ship. <laughs> Boas alleged that the beings' eyes were blue and small, and their communication consisted of animal-like sounds. Moo. Fuck. Fuck. I think we taught ourselves the wrong languages, eh? Fuck. Okay. After blood was taken from his chin, Boas was purportedly placed into a room with a strange gas, which caused him to feel severely ill. Come look at these charts. Oh yeah, that's crazy. Did you just rip ass? Yeah, yeah. I think that might be toxic to the earthling. Oh yeah. Oh well. Soon, a naked and attractive female entered the room. Sure it did. Boas claimed that the woman was adorned with long blonde hair and red pubic hair. Sure she was. And that the two soon engaged in sex. Sure he did. Afterwards, the woman gestured to her stomach and then motioned upwards, which Boas later interpreted to mean that she would raise their child in space. Then she made a dollar sign and pointed at him, and he knew that he had to pay child support now. Boas claimed he felt angry at child support. having been treated like a good stallion by the beings. Sure you were. He was subsequently taken off the ship and watched it ascend into the heavens. Sure he did. Four hours had passed since his abduction. Though the journalist and Dr. Fontes believed the story was fabricated, the doctor noticed signs that Boas had radiation sickness such as nausea and bruising, burning sensations in the eye, and skin that was painful to the touch. Boas later became a successful lawyer who created models of the UFO from his story in his spare time. While Walter Bueller of a UFO group Somebody. visited him in 1962 and published a report on his story, it still remains unproven. Boas died in 1991, but his intriguing alien story lives on. Yeah, I don't buy that story for a fucking second. Let's try another one. Here's a story from a land down under, you crocky fuck cunt fuckers. The UFO abduction of pilot Frederick Valentique while he was mid-flight. Dear Penthouse. On October 21st, 1978, Australian pilot Frederick Valentique disappeared into thin air. It was during a 125 nautical mile training flight aboard his Cessna 182L over the Bass Strait between Tasmania and the Australian mainland that the confounding incident occurred. Right, I've got a situation here, crikey fuck, cunt fucking... It's important to note that the 20-year-old, who was an enthusiast of alien stories, was a fairly experienced pilot. At 7.06 p.m., while at 4,500 feet after departing Murababin to reach King Island, Valentique reported that an unidentified craft was following him. I got a shippy trying to give me a bugger, cunt, fucking cunt. Melbourne Flight Service insisted that there was no traffic near him, but the pilot was adamant a large vessel was on his tail. He explained that it had four bright lights and suddenly passed a thousand feet above him at remarkable speed. For five straight minutes, Valentech described its movements and shiny metallic exterior. It's a shiny little shippy fuck cunt fuck. Suddenly, Valentech experienced engine trouble. Crocky fucking cunt fuck. Melbourne Flight Service asked him once again what the aircraft looked like. What metal shippy fucking cunt bugger? It's hovering and it's not an aircraft, were his final words. Mm. The last sound radio officials heard was a metallic scraping sound. Authorities presumed he had crashed but a later search of the area yielded nothing. Not even the Australian Department of Transport could find answers. In 2014, however, new claims came to light. A UFO action group in Victoria alleged that an unidentified farmer observed a UFO nearly 90 feet in length hovering above his farm on the morning following Valentech's disappearance. More importantly, the farmer purportedly claimed that the pilot's plane was stuck to the UFO, leaking oil. Well, I got a real problem here, that leaky cunt fuck. While the farmer said he scratched the airplane's registration number on his tractor, he never came forward, claiming that the ridicule he'd received from his peers after telling them his tale had discouraged him. Unfortunately, the Victorian UFO group never managed to identify the man. Hmm. For the UFO Action Group's lead investigator, George Simpson, frustration abounds. It's easy for some to dismiss, but there are corroborating stories confirming there was a UFO near Adelaide at the time, he said. This was an experienced pilot who should have been able to identify another aircraft, but was clearly unable to. Ultimately, only a few possibilities regarding the disappearance of Frederick Valentique exist. That he crashed and his remains were never recovered that he purposefully disappeared and 
or, of course, that he was abducted by entities we don't yet understand. Or he was eaten by a giant flying wallaby, because that's a thing that happens there. Dumb. I love Australia. I kid. I'm not sure I'm convinced, though. Let's try another story. Alien abduction story number seven. Let's try this one, I guess. Yeah. The UFO abductions of Audrey and Debbie Hewins from their childhood room. Okay. Audrey and Debbie Hewins not only claim that aliens exist, but that alien abductions do, too and they've experienced them. My mind is open, but consider me skeptical. I was probably about five years old or so, said Audrey. Very, very skeptical. And a bright blue light would come into the room and the door would open and there would be like a foggy kind of misty blue light just shining through the whole house. And these two figures would come in. Hey, I love breaking into humans' homes, eh? Yes, stealing knickknacks and hot pockets from the freezer makes the nine gazillion light year journey worth the trip. Oh shit, they got hot pockets, eh? Though Audrey's first alien abduction allegedly occurred during childhood, she claimed these visitations continued well into adulthood. Hmm. We have been together on abductions, stated Audrey. We've been up in crafts and seen our house from above. So we realize they are not from here. They are very good at mind erasing or whatever you want to call it. This is called a neuralizer. It's a gift from some friends from out of town. They'll leave you with bits and pieces of things you can remember. Debbie added, I remember one time being on a spaceship and standing there on the spaceship and the floor and the walls disappeared. And I was staring at the earth. Well, ain't that a bitch. Though the twins refer to these entities as the bald men. Ouch, but okay. What they've described to people willing to listen closely resembles what ufologists have dubbed gray aliens or simply grays. It's not that we're bald, little dumb children. <laughs> We've evolved past hair. You guys look like shit. Hey, you're a half-shaved ape. Troglodyte homunculus. Whatever, you guys look bald to me. The twins said they pleaded with their parents not to put them to bed for fear of encountering the bald man, but the adults simply dismissed these alien stories as a ruse to stay up late. They started doing all kinds of experiments on us when we were 12, said Audrey. While she was initially hesitant to come forward, Audrey claimed that after a non-human entity saved her from drowning in the ocean, she was inspired to dedicate her life to openly discussing her alien abduction experiences. And making lots of money <clears throat> off of book deals. <laughs> Neuroscientist Robert Davis, who was one of the first professionals to lend his support to the twins, explained that Audrey and Debbie Hewins' experiences are shared by many thousands, if not millions, worldwide. Meh. It's unreasonable to think that they would all be lying or reporting dreams and fantasies, he said. This one for sure is. These events are consistently reported and should be taken seriously by everyone in spite of their uniqueness. Hmm. End quote. No. Says that guy. Mm -hmm. No. All right, here's the last of the stories. I kind of feel like I'm more skeptical now. All right, here's the final story. Will we find evidence? Yeah. The alien story of Marine veteran Terrell Copeland that saw him abducted while napping. Dear Field and Streams. Terrell Copeland claimed that he was abducted by aliens, particularly because he was a Marine. That shit happens. I've seen Predator. Where the fuck are we? I ain't got time to where the fuck are we. What the fuck's that? I ain't got time for what the fuck's that. Well, how could it die? I ain't got time for dying. You really have an odd and boring personality, you know that? I ain't got time for personality. Right, right. We're gonna die now, probably, huh? Oh, yeah. Copeland claimed that his first experience with aliens occurred in 2007 when he captured footage of what he believed to be a UFO on his cell phone from his apartment in Suffolk, Virginia. It was an orb of light, he said, just a big ball of light. It wasn't moving. One was solid white. The other was directly across the street from it, up 300 feet above the ground and was changing colors very rapidly. Copeland recalled feeling as though something was wrong and that he wasn't supposed to be witnessing the unnerving aerial appearance. But he alleged that it wasn't until after he published the footage online that things truly became strange. I woke up from a nap by the sound of someone trying to enter my apartment, he said. Never good. And I said, who is it? Aliens. There was no answer. I said aliens. You could see the doorknob moving and like a scratching at the door. <laughs> this guy's fucking scrappy-doo. <sighs> He's fucking shaggy, dude. Oh, aliens like zoinks. And I keep a firearm. It was on my table, and I thought next to the Scooby Snacks. <laughs> and my thought was to get up and check. Despite the urge to get up, Copeland was paralyzed and only able to move his eyes. But he did call for Scooby Doo, and Scooby Doo saw the whole thing too <laughs> and corroborated all this shit. Oh, aliens! <laughs> Terrible. Suddenly, he heard a voice through the door tell him, "You don't need that weapon." 
we won't harm. Your weapons? You will not need them. Eat shit, frog dude. The incident certainly resembled the natural phenomenon known as sleep paralysis, which is experienced by many, but Copeland soon began to experience missing hours as well. He was incapable of accounting for four waking hours during the span of two nights. When you see the objects and then you do the research and you see that there are so many people who have experienced the same thing as you, he said, you have to say to yourself, maybe there is something to this. Why, it certainly could be wackadoodlery. Copeland claimed that as soon as he started to keep a log of notes and sketches and nude pastels on a canvas, his memory of what had happened during his episodes of Missing Time began to resurface. Especially after that phone call about the book deal. I was in a room and I saw a woman who did not have complete human features, he said. She had the typical black eyes that you hear about. She had an elongated skull and that startled me. And the next memory I have is me standing on my balcony waving at this cylinder-shaped ship. And he always did drugs again. The end. Copeland's alien stories, which were eventually chronicled on the History Channel, remain both startling and unproven, as all alien abduction tales do. You gotta grab some alien shit off the ship and bring it back so we can see it. In the end, however, Copeland said that his experience was for the best. Well, that History Channel deal was probably nice. And has left him with a desire to be a better person. With more money thanks to the History Channel. Okay, and that's the end of all of those stories. Mm -hmm. Kind of just an overview of each of those. Right. And we did it this way because we wanted to decide what we could look into more in depth of Mm -hmm. these. These are supposedly the top eight most compelling alien abduction stories of all right. time. And we've already done Travis Walton. Mm-hmm. And I had fun doing that one. That yeah, was that really was interesting. Fun. What would you say of all these other eight are mm-hmm. that kind of quality? Oh, as far as Travis Walton? Yeah, what I mean, the Benny Hill story seems like one that we should probably cover. Yeah. Both of us seem to agree there. Benny Hill? Ben, did I say Benny Hill? <laughs> the Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah. Isn't that the name of the Flintstones? Whatever. And then the Berkshire incident, we both kind of think is... Yeah. That, is, see, in that one, the, the small synopsis that was provided here doesn't even do it justice. Right. I mean, it was, it was the most non-in-depth overview. So many people had experiences... Uh, it was very interesting. And I, in the past, have watched documentaries on that and actually read some articles and that sort of thing. And it, I mean, I thought it was freaking fascinating. This, yeah, we'll have to do that The one. simple fact that, you know, it was a split second in the time that these people experienced this. So it's like a flash of light happens after you see this weird thing. You see a flash of light. And then all of a sudden the flash of lights over and mom and grandma are in opposite seats from each other. Right. You know, it was a very, that's, but that's just that one family. Right. So everyone had weird experiences like that. We'll have to look into that one. So we give those two thumbs up Mm -hmm. from the two of us Mm -hmm. as far as looking into again, not that we believe them or whatever. I think the, the Betty and Barney Hill one, just because of hypnotism being Mm -hmm. a part of it and that's being some of the most compelling evidence, it makes it fall for my right credibility ranking just because it's hypnotism right and i don't mind that uh but there were the other ones like the the whitley striber one Mm -hmm. any author that ever goes into like oh i have a true story and then Mm -hmm. they have another one Mm -hmm. it's like nope absolutely (laughs) not and i trust zero authors right anybody with like even really a really good uh education in literature Mm -hmm. uh, whether they're an author or not nope Right. If you get story structure, nope. <laughs> if you've got colorful words in there, I don't buy that shit at all. Uh, that's too much of a thing. And I got to mention, Wolfen, I never read the book, but mm-hmm. my dad made a big deal out of the movie from, I think it was like 77, is my guess, but maybe earlier, but it was, mm-hmm. in, the, it was in the 70s. 1981. Oh, thank you, Steve. Whatever. I watched that movie, scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. See, I never, I, I've never even heard of that movie, I don't think. It's, it's not about, I thought it was about werewolves and stuff. Yeah. And my dad and I were into werewolves when I was a kid. I mm-hmm. still like werewolves a lot. They're fun. Uh, but they scared the shit out of me. That's why I was into them. It's like, lean into the fear. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I thought it was about werewolves and it's not. It's about, uh, kind of, it's, it's about people that believe they shapeshifted into wolves. And it oh. was about the decay of society and and how the fringes were where these wolves were starting to come back into there's a commentary on how cities were really terrible in certain areas and you know oh. the, basically nature was coming back and they wanted to reclaim it it's a fucking i don't know if the book if the movie and the book were even close to mm. the adaptation mm-hmm. being the same as the book uh but i remember that movie being important to my father and i remember it, you know 
meaning something to me as okay. it scared the shit out of me and whatever. So that guy, I like the Striber guy. I'll say that. I'm, I'm cheering for him, to be honest and well, truthful, I, but I, gotta I doubt s- it. I got to say, I had a hell of a time saying his name. Because to my to my brain, it looks like Streber. Streber. So it was, I struggled trying to say Striber the whole time. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. Fuck that guy. <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, check out Wolfen. If, you, if you've ever seen it, let me know too. Info mm. at Scatcast. We always like to hear that shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, did it fuck with your brain too? How old were you when you saw it? When your daddy forced you to watch this movie that he apparently watched when he was a youngster. I don't know. Not maybe a youngster, but whatever. As for the Pascagoula fisherman abduction. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, oh, yeah, the, that basically one... the three middle ones seem to me. Well, the two middle ones there, the pilot one in Australia seems like the other very compelling story yeah, that I would want to look into. And that is one uh, because it was more. I think the ones where there's more than one or two very very close people that have witnessed it at the same time or have had experiences. Those are the ones that I find compelling. Big time. That's and, part of our meter anyway. We're not doing any of the bullshit right. meter on, or the dipshit meter on any of this stuff. Right. Because we didn't deep dive into it and stuff. Yeah. But that's part of it. It's like it, it helps if there's a lot of witnesses. Yeah. And in the pilot one, um, it wasn't just the pilot. The air Yeah, the air traffic, traffic control. control. Yeah. Uh, they had weird experiences too, listening to what he was going through. And the reason I know a little bit more about this one... Because, again, I had looked into it prior. Right. Uh, so when it came across as one of considered one of the top abduction stories, I already knew about the story. These for, are pretty weak, the most though. Part. Overall, they're all pretty kind of weak. Well, I yeah. Mean, Alien it, abduction stories are weak, as just, far as my opinion. It's like you know, anecdotal just, evidence makes it so that we I have know. to just judge them as people mm-hmm. and it sucks like that because then you're like well I don't fucking believe him because he's got that weird haircut I was just gonna say I don't like the way I don't yeah. like his shirt fucking mullet what are you talking about right. dude you can't right. be a serious person and so then we just become assholes yeah. and it gives us a chance to be assholes and it's like well fuck yeah uh, that was what I you know with the Travis Walton thing it's just mm-hmm. like well, was he a redneck piece of shit or is he a redneck with a sweet little heart that <laughs> would never tell a lie I know both kinds and right. I'm trying to figure out which one he is mm-hmm. so I don't know the anecdotal stuff makes it suck for if you care about what's true but it's great for stories Mm -hmm. like one of the most terrifying things in the world to me is you know alien shit Mm -hmm. on some level because you know if they're good hooray and they're you know there's so many ideas of the benevolent godlike aliens and Mm -hmm. if they had the technology that they supposedly have then they wouldn't know the difference between gods and whatnot and them but the thing about it is, is if they were here now, like a lot of people claim, and they, they've come here a lot, because they haven't declared themselves kind of being secretive, that could lead to some pretty nasty shit where you're like, fuck, I don't, you know, and then you hear about probed buttholes mm-hmm. for, you know, mm-hmm. in all the woods, and you hear about, you know, cattle mutilations and all these kind of things. But the fact that they're not communicating with us mm. in any kind of way is... Well, it's deceptive right from the beginning, so mm-hmm. it can't be good unless they want to be our new sky daddies. They're just waiting for season 19 of Ancient Aliens to declare. Well, I think... Uh, We're not ready for them, <laughs> is what a lot of people say. And it's like, well, fuck you. <laughs> well, you know, and the other chapter of this episode, the other volume of this episode, I guess I should say, yeah. they, I have all of the notes done, the script is written, and it's... All a, the disclosure. Yeah, it was all the disclosure that's happened over the past few years up five years but basically the stuff that i found most compelling is the stuff that they just released yeah it was, i want to look into that yes. heavy but we can't do that here not today but and i we won't do it next week or anything we're, we'll just keep it as part of the series right and so that's the next, next time we do ufos yeah. we're going to look into the disclosure and that stuff is pretty compelling so well, you know and and none I, of this was though i <laughs> i uh basically expand a little bit on you know my ideas uh, my opinions i guess on why we haven't had contact because humans are cunts direct contact in the event that this is actually a thing you know Mm -hmm. it's just this hypothesis that i have so and you know how to simplify it into it just being another natural uh, occurrence on the planet right you know i like i I look forward to that episode i think that'll be a lot of fun i think it'll be there's a lot more meat on the bones yeah than than anecdotal evidence right right but it is still something that we have to do Mm -hmm. anecdotal evidence is still worth hearing i mean these stories these people believe them Mm -hmm. oh yeah most of them have gone to their graves 
you know, it's really easy to do a, a confession at the end. Right. You know, and, and people are often compelled to. Right. And we don't have that with a lot of these people. Well, you know, the thing is, after looking into this stuff and looking at these people's faces while they're talking and doing interviews, I believe that they believe yeah. that this stuff happened. Right. And then, then we have to, again, speculate right. on their character right. and, and their mental soundness mm-hmm. and that kind of crap. And we are not good at that no. as people. We, we just kind of want to mm-hmm. dismiss it because we believe... And we don't believe in UFOs, so mm-hmm. they're crazy, and everything that they've ever done in their life is dumb. Well, we, we or they're amazing, and what heroes they are. It's so well. We touched on this in the very beginning of this episode: uh, thinking yeah. with an active brain, yep. active mind, instead of closed mind or open mind, um, and you know, working through the active mind situation. Well, it's worth it to entertain the idea, uh, just to. Give it the people the credibility. Everybody mm. deserves, you know, to have the the steel man argument mm-hmm. made. It's like I want to steel man all of these people's arguments and mm-hmm. be like, what did they actually say? What did they mean? Let's not let the media put up words in their mouth or right. or spin it these kind of ways. If they said that they saw a fucking, you know, an alien with a mitten hand, mm-hmm. you know, fine. Let's write that down. Let's cor- let's corroborate that with other things mm-hmm. around the world and all that stuff. Uh, you know, there are probably better example or better explanations than mm-hmm. it's aliens and shit. Right. I mean, it's just like with the uh, the paralysis, the sleep paralysis. Right. A lot of people in the back in the day when they weren't talking about aliens, they saw demons and yeah. they saw poltergeists. Right. And that was the popular thing in the literature at the time. And that mm-hmm. was the popular thing just in culture and stories, uh, folklore and all that shit. Mm-hmm. And so now in the modern time, people they see aliens instead of mm-hmm. when they also see demons and ghosts and shit mm-hmm. too, but they see aliens now. Well, back then, uh, hundreds of years ago, they saw aliens too. Right. They that, were that described exactly the same, except they just titled them demons. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. it was, I, the, right. it was the same thing. They just had a different word for it. So that's more of a steel man. Yeah. Of that argument where it's like, no, it's not crazy. Just new stuff. It's not just cause right. you know, ET came out. No. Right. I was going the opposite way with that, but you're right. And not all of these could be that mm-hmm. either, you know, like Betty and Barney Hill, they were the, one of the first to do what they did mm-hmm. and it prompted the government to yes, act project blue book yeah. yeah and so that's that's worth looking into just for that mm-hmm. and giving some credibility well the government believed their story enough is the government really all that smart they opened up a whole really really expensive chapter you know they had to, millions of dollars who knows how much to right. fund project blue book yeah. and i don't know how long it went on for off the top of my head they don't um, want you to know either <laughs> but um you know it's it's compelling enough for that to happen which to me is enough for me to look into it and i did same and i was it's there is some stuff in there that yes i mean if i i have a hard time with uh, hypnosis because the whole point of hypnosis is getting you into a state where uh, allegedly your conscious brain and your subconscious brain have met somewhere in the middle. Which sounds and so good, too good to be true. Right. Because that's what we all would like. Exactly. <laughs> right. But you're also, if that were the case, highly suggestible. Right. So I would like to know what leading questions were asked or mm-hmm. were they not leading at all? Um, the yeah. thing I it like. It becomes about that, the, the doctor. The doctor, a right. Lot. Yeah. And the thing with this. Um, Betty and Barney Hill (laughs) was they in the documentary they have those recordings right and and they released those recordings if we deep dive into them we'll have to listen to those and really kind of listen to the but even then like the first question is the doctor and the methods and Mm -hmm. stuff and then you have to figure out these people that's why it sucks that's why you just want look if you guys ever get abducted by an alien (laughs) Here is, and this is straight from Neil deGrasse Tyson. He he's recommending this. This is an astrophysicist that believes. Grab the ashtray. Grab the fucking ashtray. <laughs> grab something. Grab a lock of hair. You know, right. fucking. If you got your phone, snap a fucking photo. Take a video. Get a selfie. Well, get a I, selfie with the aliens. The vast majority of these, I, and that's funny. Like, and I, I was think naked, and they had a probe in my ass. I'm not getting a selfie in that situation. Well, the, well, I find it fascinating that, of course, that is very um, sound advice. However. 
the vast majority of these abduction cases, they're paralyzed. They don't, and plus, these fuckers don't smoke. They can't that's move. How they, got they can't move. Right. So if that's how, how I know when I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson say that it was just right after some guy was like, I was paralyzed for five yeah. hours in a goo. And uh-huh. It's like, well, what kind of ashtray do you find in the goo bath? Right. Like, well, bring some goo. It washed off. I don't know. Some right. sort of reentry thing happened. Fuck me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I don't like having to not trust people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a natural tendency in humanity to be like a little skeptical of oh, your fellow yeah. man. But it makes it suck when it becomes a thing where it's like, this is important. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's likely just, you know, with these abduction stories, that's crazy. When it's UFO stories, it's like, well, that's probably military shit and Mm -hmm. we probably shouldn't know. Uh, I mean, we probably should know so we can stop killing each other and fucking tear all these things down. Yeah, but that goes against humanity. It goes against human nature. Exactly. We're the best thing. We're a warring species. That's what we're best (laughs) in, for sure. But I don't know. But the abduction cases are like fucking personal and when they describe mm. certain kind of aliens it's like well fuck okay mm-hmm. well now there's a thousand people that have described this alien why right and then it's interesting when they're like well this alien has mitten hands mm-hmm. old mitten hands haven't heard of that guy before right right you know and when you delve deep into the ufo world you find people that speak very matter matter of factly about well there's 88 different uh, species of aliens and they mm-hmm. talk and of course they hang out at you know Dulce Airport, or the fuck, they're right. at, you know they're in Nevada. You're like, what? Mm-hmm. And it's like 88, but they've kind of you know maybe collected all this information over the last you know almost 80 years, yeah, or whatever it is, right. of people saying this stuff, mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, there's 88, there's this reptile, and there's mm-hmm. a big one and a little one. So some people are taking everything at face value, and I guess that's fair. Well, I do think it's interesting that you shouldn't these cases, um, you know, maybe. It's very difficult in the internet age because you have everything at your fingertips at this point. But prior to the internet age, these people were all over the world, um, different areas. They didn't even speak the same language, yet they were describing the same thing. Right. And they they don't, nobody has to be right. Like, we could all be wrong. That's Mm -hmm. certainly what is most likely is that everybody's wrong about mm-hmm. their assessment of what they, they saw for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But it does suck to but look it's at in, it. Isn't it interesting to know that everyone was wrong correctly? Right. Right. I mean, they were all wrong, but they all saw the same thing, but they're all wrong. <laughs> right. So they're all wrong at the same time correctly. Well, that makes me think of things like D- <laughs> like DMT. Like the DMT experience, according to the doctor, I think his name's Strassman or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his book, the, the Spirit Molecule, he described how a lot of people saw with this substance, people from different backgrounds, mm-hmm. they saw one of two different things. Lots of other things were seen too, but there was a pattern of people seeing... Like crocodiles yeah, fucking cro- fucking them and shit. Crocodile people. Yeah, getting, which are getting the lizard by, people. Yeah, right. Crazy. Which every there's a lot of cultures that believe in the lizard people. Mm-hmm. And then there was uh, you know going into the table of the gods and was the other potential. You know what that reminded me of? What's that? When I read that part of that book, it reminded me of the scene in um, Clash of the Titans, where the gods are <laughs> yes. all in heaven and they're looking over this giant. That's exactly what I think of. Yeah. Too. Oh, yeah. you too. I, I think. Of and they have the pawns on the table. They're little creatures. They're yeah. little. They're like um, they're like chess pieces. It's basically whoever wrote those things probably tripped out on some sort of form <sighs> of DMT or something. Who wrote mescaline. Clash of the Titans? Uh, that's that's well, a, that's based on that's the Iliad mythology. And the Odyssey, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe Homer was Way tripping balls. Way to go, balls Homer. <laughs> back in the day. Maybe he had some real good mushrooms. Yeah. And that's how we got those two He things. was on a DMT trip. That makes a fuckload of sense mm-hmm. as to how all that transpired. <laughs> <laughs> Medusa makes a shit ton of sense when you get to that shit. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Who fucking knows? I don't know. But overall, I would say that this shit is so interesting, but also not... There's nothing to hold on to, as we said. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they, they tell the story is somewhat brave because mm-hmm. we are cunts to them oh yeah and so it gets some value that way right you're like well you know with the all the ridicule and stuff and, mm-hmm. and that always adds credibility in my mind when it's like he really just didn't want anybody to talk to him ever mm-hmm. but now he's got all these people at his house and he's like i don't like this and he's subjecting himself or she subjecting themselves willingly to public shame Right. They have a poop-based podcast, so... But no, I... I Way to go, honey. I I just want people's arguments to be... If they are brave enough to go against the masses, Mm -hmm. we should be brave enough to steel man their argument. Of course. So that's that's the thing. And so... With that said, we tried. Uh, we didn't go deep diving. We are going to find the ones we we're going to deep though. dive. Yeah. We will. 
um, I really want to dig into a couple of these stories no. in the future. Um, coming up, though, we are going to talk about what the government uh, has discovered yeah. and what they've disclosed to the public. It's now, fascinating. The and thi- it adds a lot to this. It does. And the other thing that uh, I think is great is that with the government disclosing this information and kind of being a little more transparent, um, there's a bunch that we're not being told, I'm sure. Right. Um, but being a little more transparent uh, takes some of the pressure off of some of these people that are afraid to speak up. Yeah. That sure. may have had interesting experiences. All the um, stigma stuff that yeah, they feel. Yeah, it's beginning to fall away. Everybody's it, got an Uncle Bob that's like, UFOs, you <laughs> fucking weirdo. It, the taboo is not nearly as uh, stringent. It's not nearly as painful. Right. So they're able to speak up a little bit more. Now, well, it's very new, though. You know, this stuff has is, is just recently been released. Right. And, and there's, there's nothing that says, hey, there's aliens. It's no. just like, there's fucking weird stuff stuff that the, we that here here's a video of a thing that's going faster than right. jets well the government hasn't come out and said yeah there's extraterrestrial life Not in fact plus. they've said there is no evidence yeah. yet but Which is correct they have said there is enough uh there's there are enough occurrences and anomalies that warrants a deeper look into what they are. Right. Which so, is just as fascinating. Yes, If they're exactly. UFOs or if they're some sort of weird animal that mm-hmm. can go faster than jet fighters and right. shit. It's like, what the fuck's that? Yeah. There might just be a whole aspect to our world that we were unable to experience because our technology hadn't moved forward enough. Right. And here we are. We've got to stay curious. Yeah. That is the key to yeah. all of this stuff. Absolutely. Stay skeptical. Mm-hmm. Be, be a rational person. But mm-hmm. that's back to the thing. Have an active mind. Yes. Being an active-minded person is it's our we're thankful if we are you know naturally active-minded mm-hmm. i guess if you if you are that way good for you mm-hmm. but uh if you're not fucking a work on it because yeah. all you have to do is just not own things yes don't become a devout believer in mm-hmm. things uh if you if you have a political belief somebody's talk shit about that political belief you feel that in your heart you mm-hmm. feel that in whatever chemistry is in your body and yeah. that's because you own it even though you didn't invent it and you don't, mm-hmm. you're not sure if it's right or whatever. It's just a team thing that you do. Well, the thing uh, with that's stop doing that. Yeah. Well, with beliefs, uh, doesn't matter if it's uh, political or religious or all you of know, it's the same, any yeah. of those things. But once you own, uh, the concept so much that it becomes part of your persona, Boop. it becomes part of who you are. Uh, You're fucked. Kinda. Yeah, exactly. You can't be criticized. You can't. Yeah, exactly. And you take everything so seriously. Mm-hmm. These are weaknesses that we have to develop over time that we just teach our kids not to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, don't become so attached to concepts that right. you can't be talked out of it. If somebody <laughs> came to you, this is the way I look at it. If somebody came to you With and uh, they argued against gravity. Right. And they're like, gravity doesn't exist. Flat Earth people, yes. Oh, do they? Do flat Earth they, people they say that? They don't believe that gravity exists. No. Oh, God. Okay, well. It's something else. That's so interesting. But if somebody came to you and they argued about gravity, and you know you know when you drop a ball and it falls, and you every time you drop something, you know it's, gonna, it's not going to go up. Right. It's always going to go down. Right. And that is an axiom. When somebody's arguing against that, I don't know anybody who gets all worked up emotionally and pissed off red in the face and, you know, wants to fight the person. You should check out the flat earth. Uh, I don't form. know. I don't know <laughs> anybody who does that right. um, because it's a normal known thing. Right. Um, yeah. It's just the way it is. It's it's an axiom. So it, the, the thing is, you don't have to believe in gravity. Gravity just is. It demonstrates itself. Exactly. That it yeah. So there isn't a belief there. Um, and that's how I personally like to handle my quote unquote beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's an axiom, it isn't my belief. It just is what it is. It's recognizing but I do, reality. Yeah. yeah. But I do have some beliefs. I know I do. I Same. have some strange beliefs that other people, and I don't even like even using the word beliefs, ideas really. Yeah. And the reason I don't like using the word belief is because I'm not attached to them. I'm not, um, they don't, uh, they're what I'm working with now. They, yes. You gotta, sometimes you got to pick exactly. a few things to do in life. Right, and it's right. like, do I believe that I should be talking into a microphone? Right. I guess so. Cause well, here I'm walking into it. Yeah. These, these yeah. ideas don't define who I am. Um, they just are the parameters of how I think right now, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. And, uh, when more information comes along, I will think differently mm-hmm. because I can't help it. 
you know. Absolutely. Um, but that, of course, does not, it doesn't sway my core values. It doesn't change my morals, my ethics, or the way I see the world. Just my idea of how things in the world work. Right. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. Okay. Well, hell yeah. <laughs> so we philosophized after listening to what I would say are less than compelling <laughs> uh, UFO Well, they're abductions. the best ones out there. That's what they said. Well, publicly, at least. Right. Who knows? What else is out there? And that's but these really, are the best public you, ones. You guys let us know what the best public ones are or what we missed at info at scatcast.com. But thank you guys for listening. I think we are all done with the show today. Yeah, thank you guys. This has been a fun one. We are going to deep dive into at least two of these, mm-hmm. if not three of these in mm-hmm. the future. Well, hopefully we'll be with you guys for a long time to come. Mm-hmm. But we're not doing that for a while. Right. Next week we are going to look at some cult shit. Yes. Our first cult deep dive. That's kind of more the true crime area that we do most of the time mm-hmm. here. I wouldn't say deep dive. I would say, uh, but I We am, don't deep dive here. Right. Well, occasionally I do. Yeah. I am planning on doing that in the future. Ted Bundy Ted is Bundy's my first get deep dive. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the cult itself, you know, I'm going to take an hour or two, depending on how long the script is, and mm-hmm. I'm going to share this cult with as much information as I can in an hour or two. Then I'm going to shit all over that. <laughs> dumb little skits cats. I love it. So it'll be fun. But thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday with more dipshit files. <laughs> and we'll talk at you in the future. And it'll seem like the present. Bye. Bye. And she died. <laughs>